The Athletic. This season, the world's biggest football podcast network is even bigger. Alongside our three weekly episodes of Totally and the two Totally Football League shows, we've got three episodes of the all-new Athletic Football Podcast with Mark Chapman. Adam Hurry's football cliches will now be with you on Mondays and Wednesdays. There'll be two lots of Michael Cox on our tactics podcast and we've revamped our FPL and women's football shows. Our Liverpool, Man United, Chelsea and Tottenham club podcasts are now twice a week. And don't forget, we've also got our TIFO, Offside Rule and Football Manager shows too. There are also amazing new series with both Kelly Cates and Jackie Yodley coming up later in the year, so stay tuned for those. You can listen to all of these podcasts across our network in all the usual places or ad-free on The Athletic app. The Athletic, the world's biggest football podcast network. Totally Football Show saying, welcome back, football. It's been literally hours Today, we're talking transfer of the century, free Messi and PSGC, we Messi. We've got Julian Laurence on the line, itching to tell us more. Meanwhile, we review the Community Shield, and in honour of Man City's new shirt font, we'll have a stab at calculating who's going to be winning the Premier League. Plus, we chat Olympics, transfers, football league, and much, much more in this Totally Football Show, in association with Paddy Power. And away we go. Hello, listener. I hope you've been well. Uh, we've got a brand new season. And, of course, we have a bundle to talk about with us today on Totally. Uh, Daniel Story. Hello, Daniel. Hi, James. Duncan Alexander's also here, Duncan. Hi, James. And Adam Crafton returning as well. Hello, Adam. Hello. Lovely to be back. It is, isn't it? Daniel, last time you were on... Remember, you were a bit down. you just seen your team lose a game that they've been leading right at the death. Nothing like that today, I trust. No, yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's, it's not like May is long away, so we await the impending doom of the next eight months. Right. Daniel's referring to Nottingham Forest's opening game of this championship season, which saw what? Uh, saw them take the lead and then try and sit on that lead, as teams I follow tend to do, and get caught out and not be able to switch gear when the opposition equalise and eventually end up losing by a, one of the most painful methods imaginable. Crikey. All right. Well, we'll hear perhaps a little bit more on that later on. Uh, May not so far away, but also a long way away. So much is going to happen between now and then. We'll be touching on some of the things that might take place in the course of this show. But before the season's underway, of course, the world of football has been rocked by perhaps the biggest transfer story of all time. Leo Messi leaving Barcelona. Uh, His deal with PSG not yet confirmed, but the exit is, and Leo himself confirming it in that tearful press conference Sunday lunchtime. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. It's very difficult for me, after so many years, to do all of my life here. not not prepared. Yes, as Gunnar Blog tweeted, Messi weeping like he's been told he's signing for Arsenal. So... Uh, Adam, for those who are saying if he cares so much for Barca, why doesn't he just stay there and uh, play for free because he can afford it? Uh, what's the answer? Mm. So, I mean, even before all of this happened um, over the past 48, 72 hours, there was, a, there was a critical situation at Barcelona with their wage bill. Um, it was over £172 million in excess because of La Liga have very, very strict salary cap regulations. Um, and... The, the wage cap that Barcelona have been allowed has been reduced by over half over the last three years. It was set to be reduced again. So I think three years ago, it was something like 670 million euros. And this season, it was likely to be in the region of 200 million euros. Ooh. So even if um, Lionel Messi turned around and said, I will play for three as a gesture of goodwill because I love this club so much, Barcelona's um, current wage bill was still going to be around over 90%. So it would have, it, you know, it would have been workable if the rest of their players were then sold or not registered, um, or if he paid to play there, which is, I, I think, the best option. Power league stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> he could probably, uh, I mean, he could probably keep them keep them afloat that way. Um, to be fair, how selfish, how selfish of Lionel Messi. <laughs> so that that's why, you know, I, I understand those arguments. He's obviously, I mean, he is pretty much near on bankrupt. His wages have near on bankrupted the club. Um, over the last few years. Um, so I understand why people are making those very emotional arguments. But actually, at this point, everyone seems everyone involved 
within Barcelona and with Lionel Messi just seem to presume that La Liga would would fold and they would say eventually no 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 it's Messi we'll make an exception the league's stronger the commercial product is stronger with Messi here therefore everyone would fall into line and this time it's simply not happened and reality has dawned and he's leaving the club Mm, and probably heading to Paris Uh, well joining us now disinterested observer Julien Laurent Julien Uh, thank you so much for being with us. It, it's Sunday evening, as we mentioned. Nothing yet confirmed as regards Leo to Paris, but basically your club is signing Lionel Messi. How do you feel? I still can't really believe it, Jimbo. I have to be honest. I think I'll, I'll believe it when he's there holding the shirt, when he signed the paper at the bottom of the contract, and that uh, I can go on the website, the official website, and buy the shirts, the three kits. Uh, for me, my children, all the family, uh, everybody who wants one, I, I, I'm happy to buy anyone one shirt, to be fair. Can I have one? Yeah, of course, of course. I'm not sure they've got your size. but um, uh, What do you I'm mean kidding, by that, Jules? I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. Okay. I, I'm happy to buy anybody's shirt. It's just, it's, it hasn't sunk in yet. And I've, I've been working quite hard the last three days hmm. to, um, you know, to just follow the story, whether it happens or not, uh, or wh- whether it would happen or not. Because now we know it's, it's happening. But I just, and, and despite that, despite all that time, despite all the messages and calls and all of that and opinions from people and this, you still can't really think, you, I just can't see him on the, at the, at the France. I can't see him with that shirt. I, it's just, yeah, it hasn't sunk in yet. Incredible. Messi didn't seem quite so happy about it, I must admit, in his uh, lunchtime press conference on Sunday. Not so happy about going About to- the move to Paris. There were some tears and, and that. Does yeah, that concern I, I, you at all? I don't think the tears are to go to Paris. I think the tears were for leaving Barcelona, which is two right. different things. Okay. I just think he, want, he wanted to stay. He could not stay. Not because it's, it's nothing to do with him. It's not his fault. He just could not work. But I'd be very surprised if he was not happy to go when his father uh, called PSG as early as Thursday evening to see what kind of offer they could put on the table. So... Mm. I don't know. I mean, you can be as cynical as you want and everybody seems to be. Uh, I, I don't think it's PSG's fault if he's leaving Barcelona. It's not PSG fault if he's going there either. I don't understand why there's all that negativity around it. I have to be honest. Okay. I mean, let's be positive. Neymar, Mbappe and Messi. Woof. And also, uh, Donnarumma, Gini Wijnaldum and Ramos as well, all arriving on a, on a free. Plus, you've got the brilliant Hakimi coming in uh, from Real Madrid via Inter uh, Internazionale, who they had to pay a bit of money for. But it's a sensational transfer window, even before El Pulce arrives. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's it's incredible. I, I'm still really sceptical on how they can do it in terms of um, wage bill and balancing their books. And we know financial fair play is on holidays right now. Uh, and it, it could be for a long time. But even even with that, it's, it's staggering, really, when you think about it. But they said they can, they said they do everything right. So this is the only way we have to, to believe them, I guess. But it's incredible. I think they've, they've won the transfer window, not this one, but any transfer window in the history of transfer windows. I mean, signing Messi on a free to start with is mind-blowing. If you add Wijnaldum on a free, and we know that free transfer don't exist, but still no, no transfer fees for Messi, Donnarumma, Ramos and Wijnaldum in, this, in the space of 30 days. It's just like, never seen before and will never be done again. And I think some of them were pure opportunities that they hadn't really planned. Some of them, like Wijnaldum, was the fact that they offered more than another club and, and, and they got him that way. But still, to just think that they managed to do all those transfers without any transfer fee is just incredible. It is. And it might just give him a shot at the, the French title, I, I reckon, this year. Uh, Daniel? That's, sorry, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to ask Jules if he, if he fancies them for the title this season. It would be tough. Like, you know, the French Ligue 1 is so difficult and so competitive that, yeah. um, nah, I mean, yeah, yeah I, think, I think Ligue 1 is, yeah, we will be won. Uh, pretty, pretty much very early potentially um, October but the Champions probably, League is yeah. the big one you know there's the, when the Qatari took over in 2011 they had two dreams the first one was to win the Champions League and and we knew that they were going to put a lot of effort and a lot of money uh, to do that to try to do that the second one was that one day either Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi could play for the club and they tried Ronaldo many times and 
at times got close, was slightly close, but never succeeded really. But they certainly never ever thought that there would be an opportunity one day to recruit Leo Messi. So when they got that phone call from Jorge Messi, they, they were obviously over the moon and were like, yeah, yeah, we can make this happen. And, and they, you, you just can't let this one go. It's impossible. Not, not in this context, not when you're the only club really that can afford him, that, that, that want to make that effort financially, that, that want to put that work in to offer a contract and everything. So they, you know, that's, that was the dream. And now they have one of the two dreams. The other one might never happen even with Messi. I mean, we saw in the last six years that he could not, he could not win the Champions League in the team that he was in. So that doesn't mean that PSG will win it with him this year. But it certainly takes you closer, I think, to, to, yeah, to that ultimate goal, which is winning the Champions League. Adam, why were PSG the only team apparently willing to put that money on the table? Man City had been viewed as favourites for so long. I think Man City have obviously decided this summer that Jack Grealish and Harry Kane are the players that they they want to get. Now, at the moment, it doesn't look like they're going to get Harry Kane. Um, I'm a bit sceptical that that might be dated by the time the podcast comes out with the way things are moving in this transfer window. But as things stand, you know, there, there isn't a suggestion that Kane is imminent. So... I was thinking the last couple of days, well, why don't you just go and get Messi? And then because, you know, if you want want to get Kane next summer, then he's by then 29, could even be 30 by the time you're able to get him. Um, And Messi's the guy that Abu Dhabi have always wanted. He's the guy that Pep has a great relationship with, but they've just not really engaged with it this time around. I think they felt their opportunity was last year. Um, I think their position with Kane is we either get him or we just don't get a striker this summer and maybe we then go for Haaland next summer or Kane again next summer. Um, And then there's Chelsea. And I mean, I know that PSG were very worried yesterday afternoon about, you know, would Chelsea make a move? Um, And I don't, as far as I can tell, I don't think they have made a serious move for Messi, you know, since since PSG really began talking to them. But it was an anxiety and it's just given them a clear run, really. And I think the offer that they made clearly was was beyond what most clubs were prepared to spend this summer. Um, It's still way down on what the valuations were last summer. You know, Man City and PSG last summer were being quoted for a total package for Messi, something like 500 million euros. And this time around, okay, it's big, you know, it's big money, 25 million net in salary, 25 million signing on fee, two years uh, clause uh, to extend it for another year. But it's not on the level that it was last summer. Um, so it, it felt more, more, more rational. I suppose the, the thing I'd like to throw over to Julian is two players that I, I think it probably has a big knock-on effect for. One is um, Mbappe, because PSG are in the conversations I'm having there insisting they think Messi coming, it means he stays. And also that the fact they've spent all this money on Messi does not stop them from renewing Mbappe. But then Real Madrid are absolutely convinced that they are signing Mbappe during the next 12 months. And then the other player is Paul Pogba, who PSG might have gone for this summer and maybe now try and get on a three next year. Is that how you're seeing it or do you think different things will happen? No, I think you're right for Pogba. That, that's the end of, of the, um, the Pogba potential move to PSG. I think that I mean, there's no money left, to be fair. Even, even, even in their standard, to do Pogba with the transfer fee plus... Uh, huge wages package too so that this this would have to wait or might never happen mm. for Mbappe it's interesting because from, from what I'm from what I'm getting they're really hopeful that and I think I think it makes sense even if I put my PSG cap on the side and it's hard to do but I'll do it if you're killing Mbappe right now and of, okay you're free you're free next summer and certainly the feeling at the club was like okay we're going to try keep trying to to convince him to extend, even if it's a short extension, one year, two years maximum. But it's more and more likely that this will be his last season in, in Paris, in Ligue 1, and then he will go on a free wherever he chooses to go. Now with Messi signing this two-year deal, they, they, were really, they, they are really hopeful that if you're Kylian Mbappé and, you, and, you, and you're 22 years of age, there's a feeling that why not playing those two full years with Messi? So this one coming, obviously, is in his contract. But then instead of being out of contract next summer, he just extends even, even just one year maybe or two years and then they have an agreement that he can go after in, in the summer 2023. But if you're Mbappe and you've got your best friend Neymar already in your team and now his best friend is also coming and he's also the greatest player that's ever played the game, why would you not want to spend those two years with him? And then at the end of that, you're still only 24 and then you can go to Real Madrid or Liverpool or Bayern Munich 
or Manchester City or where, wherever you want to go. And you can still be, do that on a free as well. So there, there's this feeling that Messi coming in certainly doesn't mean that Mbappe will leave and they're not going to let him go this summer. And he doesn't want to leave this summer either. He wants to stay and he had decided that before Messi arriving. But now they're very hopeful that if things, especially if things are really good between the three of them up front, that it's a lot of fun, that there's a lot of wins, that there's a lot of goals, that Mbappe might turn around and say, you know what, I fancy that second season too with Messi. And then that might mean extending his contract and, and then everybody would be very, very happy with that, of course, at the club. So I've seen the reports in Spain saying, oh yeah, Messi arriving, that means Real Madrid will get Mbappe this summer. No, they won't. Next summer, maybe. But there's, so, there's also a feeling and a sense of like, this, this might convince Mbappe to stay the two years that, M- that Messi will be at the club because why, when you're Mbappe and you're still so young, would you not want to play an extra year with Neymar and, and, and Messi and the rest of the team with you? Mm. Mm. And I suppose on a broader level, if you are the owners of PSG and you have the World Cup in 2022, you then get, if Mbappe extends for another year, you then get those three star names all lining up behind the project going into the you know the most important year for for the Qatari state as well yeah you're right completely and and that's that's very much the idea and we all i think speculated a little bit when when they're starting talking with the contract that Messi could become some sort of ambassador for Qatar 2022 or having that kind of contract or something including in that contract and and we might discover down the line that this the case or not but certainly that was the idea i mean what the Qatari wanted was to have the biggest brand as possible, right? And when Messi signs, you will have Paris as a brand, Messi as a brand, and Jordan, obviously, as a brand in terms of kit kit maker, all in the same place. And they really believe that this has never been done before anywhere in football, that you have three huge brands all in the same place together that are so different to each other and yet reunited that this could potentially break new grounds in terms of sponsorship deals and marketing and all of that. And, and Messi might just take two years, but those two years, they believe that could, could really take the club to another level. And, I, you know, I'm told stories like you already have big brands calling up the club and Messi hasn't even officially signed yet. But they, they, they're there ready to join the club and sign a sponsorship deal and, and be there because they want to be part of this three three brand way if you want of, of a football club and I, and I do think that when Messi is announced having this triumvirate of Paris, Jordan and Messi all together is, is pretty mind-blowing Alright, well take, take your sponsorship hat off for a second Jules because it is exciting beyond anything for PSG fans on a football level. I just want to ask you, and we'll talk much more about this, of course, on Tuesday what the impact is on Barca as well when the, the Totally Football Show European edition returns but for the rest of the league, we've seen the quote from the breast manager, Mikel de Zakarian, uh, that he has a hard-on, basically, for Messi's <laughs> arrival. But is it actually a good move for Liga? I mean, beyond the initial knock-on of interest, it, it's just going to make it fabulously uncompetitive as a league, surely? Yeah, yeah, of course it is. But I think other clubs say it differently. I mean, Messi comes to town. Yeah. And if Messi comes to town, the boxes that you sell for the PSG game, they usually sell 500 euros, for example, for the sake of it. Messi is in town, you sell them for 2,000 euros. And then, and then everything, everything is like this. And, and I think in terms of viewing figures, in terms of, of you know, TV rights, and God knows, and, and you know, Jimbo, how hard things have been recently for, for French football in terms of TV rights and broadcasters and all of that. This, this could, again be a game changer, certainly on the short term. So I don't think they see it that way because PSG could have walked that league even without Messi anyway. So mm. the fact that Messi is coming, they don't see that, oh, right, they're going to be even stronger. No, they see it like, wow, this is incredible. And I, and I haven't spoken to anyone yet who had something negative to say about Messi coming into the league because at a time where, where French football was really struggling to a certain extent for different reasons, to have Messi coming in out out of the blue completely because even in I mean, everybody assumed that he was going to renew that deal with Barcelona so this was never on the cards it's not even like a few people knew no no one no one expected this so now to have this it's a gift from heaven really for french football and i think that's how everybody everybody sees it and 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 then if you're a psg fan it's obviously even better for you all right 
You know, I'm <laughs> trying to explain to my children yes. that 13 years ago, when they almost went down to the second division to Ligue 2, we had players that none of you boys have ever heard of. You know, the Fabrice Pancrat of this world. And now, 13 years on, you've got Leo Messi, who's going to partner up front with Kylian Mbappé and Neymar. And it's just, if, even if you've been a fan like me and my family for all those years through the good days, because there have been really good days in the 90s and to the really, really bad days when you almost got mm. relegated, to now have the greatest player of all time playing for your team, it's just, it's just, I think it's even hard to make them understand how, how things have changed so quickly. Yeah, it's romantic underdog stories like that and say Man City <laughs> that really, I think, inspire us about this sport. Jules, that's fabulous. Look forward to speaking to you again on Tuesday then. And enjoy uh, this realisation as it dawns on you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Yeah, more of that on, on Tuesday. How, how excited, Daniel, are you at seeing Messi in Liga? Is it a little bit like having Michael Phelps exhibiting in a paddling pool? <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to pour any sort of cold water on Jules' excitement because he's well within his rights to be so. But it does feel a little bit like praising Amazon for getting kids reading. The kind of it's good for Liga. I, I, his point is absolutely valid that TV broadcasting deal wise, it probably does make sense. But yeah, yeah, it's brilliant for PSG. He's absolutely right that it's fantastic for for the brand. Um, I guess this was kind of inevitable, and you know Barcelona don't deserve any sympathy here. Um, they have become a, a blueprint for how not to run a, a super club and how to mismanage a super club. And they, I still don't think they really will learn their lessons fully because I still think Jean Laporta still thinks it's someone else's fault. Um, he thinks that La Liga's rules are, 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 are you know, unfairly hampered Barcelona. But the fact that they still signed four players this summer, even when they knew that that Lionel Messi's wage was was going to take them way beyond the regulatory level, and even without Messi's wage, they'd be beyond it. Suggests that they haven't really learnt that lesson in full yet, and they may well have to over the next couple of years. Duncan, your thoughts? Well, we're going. This season's going to be the tenth anniversary of possibly Messi's finest season, the one when he scored seventy three goals. Um, he might have surpassed that by November. Uh, we don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm just looking through some of the numbers at his time at Barcelona. 117 goals from outside the box. Now, most players would be happy to score 117 goals in their career. Um, he's done that. He averaged over performance on XG by 7.6 in, in, across the last seven seasons. So, you know, he's. it's not like he's showing any signs of slowing down. That's the thing. I think there's not like he's a 34-year-old that's doing a, a final lap of honour and going to perhaps a slightly weaker league. He He's still really, you know, the best player in the world. And, yeah, it's quite interesting and fascinating and slightly scary to to think about what he might do. Hmm. Adam, final thought for you for now on this? Yeah, I mean, I, I would challenge slightly this idea that this is, you know, a downward step um, by Messi. You know, given PSG weren't actually able to win league on last season. Um, they've not been able to win the Champions League. Um, and I think the fact he he is signing for them means that, you know, he has two big challenges now. The first one is to win the Champions League for the first time for PSG, um, which, you know, Neymar's not been able to do, Mbappe's not been able to do, several really great managers, Latan Ibrahimovic hasn't been able to do. Um, and then also the, fact, the, the mere fact he has gone to PSG pretty much guarantees that he will be at that World Cup in Qatar um, next year. So that gives, you know, another challenge um, for him, even at... 35, I think he'll be by then, um, where he has to find another level, you know, as as his years are advancing. So I think it's quite an exciting, I actually think it's quite an exciting move. I understand why people, you know, don't like the idea of PSG or Man City getting a player that we have seen play, you know, their entire career at Barcelona. But, you know, Barcelona have been sponsored by Qatar Airways for the past um, four or five years. So um, the money had been coming mostly from the same place. That's true. And you could, I suppose, argue that he's actually making a step up in terms of club level, given that PSG actually beat Barcelona, what, 4-1 last Absolutely. year in Barcelona in the, in the Champions League. Anyway, mm, very and good. And we don't have to see him wearing those shorts that Barcelona have got, so that's a bonus. <laughs> what shorts are those, Duncan? <laughs> They've oh. got half and half red and blue shorts this season, which... Have they? Uh, not for me. Not for Duncan. All right, well, next up, we we'll hear Duncan's thoughts, perhaps, on Man City's new kit, which they sported Saturday in the Community Shield for the big game with Leicester City. 
At Paddy Power, we're looking forward to the return of the Premier League this weekend. Man United kick off their campaign against old rivals Leeds. The operative word there being old, because the last time Leeds finished ahead of Man United was before most of the players in the current teams were born. Though I remember it well. God, I'm getting too old for this job. And while you can't build a time machine, you can build your own bet with a completely free £5 bet builder on Man United v Leeds this Saturday. Paddy Power! Pre-match bet builder bets only. Minimum two legs plus. Online exclusive must have previously deposited to avail. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCampbellAware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. It's Kelechi Iheanacho up against the goalkeeper, Zach Steffen. Follow it in. Iheanacho steps up into the corner! And Leicester City are going to be Wembley winners again! Swoosh! That was the sound of the curtain being raised on the season Saturday. The Community Shield are pitting FA Cup winners, Leicester City against Manchester City and the Foxes adding another Wembley triumph with a 1-0 victory. The game decided late on on a Kelechi Iheanacho penalty and Nathan Aki conceding the spot kick which Iheanacho then converted against his old club. Uh, Duncan, deserved win? Yeah, although you should, we should point out Leicester had pretty much their full first team out, whereas City were missing a lot of the, the England players and, and others as well. So it was a little bit of a mismatch. Um, it was slightly haunting because it was on ITV and there was a team in white bringing on Jack Grealish towards the end of a game and then ending up losing. And I was like, oh, no, not again. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the font on City's shirt was good. It's basically the font that you got on that uh, Casio calculator at school. I don't know whether we're going to get an incident this season where some of the players are upside down and it spells boobs or hello, but that would be good. Um, obviously not in a Premier League game because it's an official font. But yeah, I mean, Leicester played well. I thought Pats and Dakar looked really good when he came on. Um, my hot right. take for this year is that I think Vardy's going to score fewer than 10 Premier League goals. He, hmm. I think he's he is on a downward spiral now. Ian Atcho's obviously had a great season last year and I think Dakar will play his way into the team as well. So, um, But yeah, it's good. I think, as we said with the FA Cup final, like Leicester really appreciated winning the Charity Shield slash Community Shield. Whereas I think for a lot of the big clubs, it's kind of a, a game just to get out of the way. So, yeah, I think the only the only slightly dispiriting thing for City is they, they, they still look very early in their pre-season um, form. And, and that figures because they had friendlies cancelled because of positive COVID tests and... Um, Guardiola quite often does this where he, he, he sort of, for obvious reasons, tries to dampen down expectations by saying, we're not ready, we're not ready, we're not ready. But they really don't look ready. You know, Phil Foden and, and Kevin De Bruyne came back from the Euros with injuries that they, they still have. Um, Grealish was fit enough to come on, but I don't know if he starts the first game of the Premier League season, which is away at Spurs. You know, it's not an easy game. And yeah, you look at that team and maybe three or four of them will start regularly in the Premier League next season, which is fine. You know, the flip side to that is there's a lot of improvement to come, but those players who are coming into the team haven't played any pre-season football really yet. So, you know, it's going to be a really odd start to the season for them to to get those players ready. They play Spurs away, they play Leicester away pretty early in the season. And I just wonder if we might see... I can see how... I can see a scenario whereby Spurs think they're keeping Harry Kane and then City start off slowly... You know, players still coming back, and and they think, do you know what? We really do need to go out and get Kane here. And Spurs are left with sort of three or four days to reinvest a heck of a lot of money, um, because I do think City will start the season slowly. Hmm. Well, they're starting off against Spurs, who they have an absolutely dreadful record against, at least at, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. They've yet to score a goal there in their three visits so far. A lot of talk on this Sunday that Spurs are already lining up a replacement for Harry Kane in the shape of Lautaro Martinez, who's been pretty exceptional, if a little bit patchy for Inter. Adam, though, you were pretty certain earlier on that, that Kane wouldn't be moving anywhere any time soon. Well, I don't think it's I don't think it's imminent. Um, clearly, City are still trying to to get that move done. And I mean, obviously, we had the the very bizarre 
events over the past week where Kane didn't turn up for training for a couple of days, came back from his holiday a bit late. Now he's quarantining, but at the Spurs training ground um, so that he's able to do like sole training. So over at sort of um, HM Spurs Lodge. Um, so Spurs can lock, can lock him in for a few days. Um, <laughs> and then you've got this speculation today about Lautaro Martinez. Um, and all the reports wanted to make very clear that this was entirely unrelated to Harry Kane, um, which seems unlikely. I would think that Harry Kane will be playing alongside Lautaro Martinez at Tottenham, given that Tottenham aren't in the Champions League. And, um, you know, you would think would have to sell to buy a player like that. Um Though you know, let's see. Um, I, I think with with City, it's a case of you know th- there is a lot of uncertainty around the squad at the moment. You've got players who, if Kane was to arrive, know that they would need to be sold. There's been speculation about Bernardo Silva, who does want to leave the club. Gabi Jesus, who needs more regular football ahead of the World Cup next year. There was a lot of speculation about Raheem Sterling, but it feels like his Euros has maybe been a turning point for him, um, and that he'll stay now. Um, so there are these sort of bits of uncertainty around City and then you think you know I, I, don't, I mean I'm sure the guys will have an opinion on this Jack Grealish obviously very exciting signing but I have to say as an, oppos- as an opposition fan I don't look at Grealish and think wow that's a signing that changes the title race and that really puts you know the fear of God into me whereas you know you put Harry Kane into that team and I think that does have that impact um, but the guys might disagree with me on that. The only thing I'd say is, I suppose from City's point of view, they're quite happy for the title race not to be changed in that they won the league by 12 points. They were the top scorers. They did concede the fewest. They will be more than happy for a repeat. Now, Adam's absolutely right in that Chelsea will be stronger. Liverpool will be stronger. Manchester United will be stronger. It's still a fairly big gap to make up. But I I agree on Grealish. I think he's a fabulous player, but I don't think he's a problem solver at at Manchester City. I don't think he really... You know, they already have a lock picker in Kevin De Bruyne. They already have the dribbler in, in Raheem Sterling. He he doesn't answer that problem. He just adds another layer of, of luxury to the options they have, I think. Yeah, so many good transfers now in modern football because clubs take a lot more time to to look at how this place fit into a system. And it's not just let's buy this player because he's really good. And, you know, th- I'm not saying it's going to turn out the same way. But it slightly has the feel of when Man United signed um, Varon back in the early 2000s, where clearly a brilliant player that everyone that got people off their you know seats but didn't necessarily slot into the teams well straight away and yeah I think it will be interesting to see to see how that works out I mean you could see Mendy was coming in in field a little bit to try and create a bit more space I think for Grealish when he's out on the left um but Grealish only had sort of 15 minutes and had a couple of nice little dribbles but didn't really go anywhere so but as we said it was the community shield so it doesn't count no one should watch it Hmm. A 12-point margin last year for Cities. They picked up their third title in four seasons. Of the other contenders, who do you think is most likely to bridge that gap? Would it be United with the arrivals of Jaden Sancho and Rafael Varane when that becomes official? Would it be Chelsea who do seem to be bringing Romelu Lukaku back and, of course, will now have the benefit of a full pre-season under Thomas Tuchel. Could it even be 2020 champions Liverpool? Any reasons they might be better this time around? Who do you fancy? I like to... This is semi-scientific, semi-not scientific, but if you look at sort of numbers for the last few months of the previous season, you can often spot teams that maybe were doing slightly better than the final league table showed or vice versa. And if you look at expected goals minus expected goals conceded since the start of March, Chelsea were well clear of everyone else in the Premier League, um, You know, mainly thanks to their defence, but they also had a better XG going forward than City. Um, basically, the top four on that basis was Chelsea, City, Liverpool, Man United. And I think they are the four that that will, you know, fight it out for the title. But I I feel for me that Chelsea are the you know the the big favourites to if someone is going to topple City to do it. I actually I have a hunch for Liverpool um this season in that I think I think Thiago started to look like himself towards the back end of last season. And if and you know obviously you would think they would now have a midfield that looks a bit more normal because they're not going to have Henderson and Fabinho playing as as centre halves this season. Hopefully, for them, um, and obviously Van Dijk back as well. I mean, I think the thing with Liverpool is, you know, as was the story of last season, they need their core 15, 16 players to stay fit. I think if that was to happen, I think they'll take some stopping. But you know, we've seen trends. I think in Jordan Henderson over the last couple of seasons that 
I think he struggles to you know to fulfil a full season now without niggles and injuries. They've obviously lost Wijnaldum. Um and also Roberto Firmino. It, you know, I don't think he is necessarily good enough um, to, to win the title for Liverpool. But I do think they will be a lot better, and I think they might be City's biggest problem. But yeah, Chelsea do look. I mean, it's hard to find faults in you know when you look at Chelsea's squad, isn't it? I'm happy to play the game and talk about Man United then because. Um... You look at that outfield, first choice outfield now, and six of the ten this season will be Solskjaer signings, big money Solskjaer signings, other than Edison Cavani, who was was a revelation towards the end of last season. And I think if there isn't a serious title challenge this season, then then probably that might be it for for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, um, unless they are able to do something you know beyond ordinary in the Champions League, because the pieces are there now; they really are. You know the the only the only slight reservation that remains is in central midfield, but there is no team that doesn't have a reservation this season. So I don't think that's enough of an excuse not to to fuel a title bid. And it, it also feels that they, it feels very business as usual from United in the preseason games I've watched. You know, I, I saw the most of the game against Everton. It, it it did feel like things were just ticking over from last season. Solskjaer's immediately brought Shaw back in, even though he played in the Euros. He's not giving him that time to settle, which. It's probably slightly double-edged, but I think it gives United a bit of momentum. I do think they have that momentum to probably at least start the season very quickly. Mm. Marcus Castro writes in, a big question here, will Spurs and Arsenal suck for one more year? <laughs> I think one year is uh, possibly <laughs> quite generous. Um, <laughs> but Spurs have been busy in anticipation or not of uh, players' departures. They, they have. Um and I, I think it, it was the nature of their managerial search, which which felt shambolic, um, and the fact that you know the start of the process, you know it, all the noises were they weren't really into Nuno Espirito Santo, and then by the end he was their manager. But I mean, if this conversation was eighteen months ago and we were talking yeah. about Nuno, there'd be a lot of excitement. I think you know even when um, Unai Emery left Arsenal, I think he was one of the names mentioned at the time, and um, and and rightly so. So you know they've not they've not brought a mug in, and I don't think he's you know, actually, I think he's better for them than Jose Mourinho was, um, although that's not a particularly high bar by the end of that period in charge. Uh, but but it's, it's, so, it's so dependent on Kane, isn't it, and how they deal with that situation and how they read that. I think Romero looks like a really good signing if um, I'm going purely here off what James Horncastle has been saying, um, but that sounds good for them. And then Arsenal, I mean, Arsenal just needs to do a lot more if they're going to get closer to the top four. This, you know, Ben White's a great player, but he's not, He's not a cure for where Arsenal are at the moment. Yeah, I think there is a scenario with Spurs whereby they, you know, maybe they do a part exchange deal for Kane, maybe with, let's say, Bernardo Silva, and mm. also get Lautaro Martinez in. That um, suddenly with Hill and uh, Romero, that's a plus window, even when you've lost Harry Kane, which is basically unthinkable from three months ago. So I don't think they should be scared about change. They needed that change. They, they've they been crying out for Daniel Levy to, to bring through that rebuild. So if that rebuild ends up needing Kane to leave as a factor in it, and yet it becomes an ingredient of it, then I think that can still be a positive thing, which is I understand is a pretty hard sell to a Spurs supporter now that's considering losing Harry Kane. But if you're, if you're Bernardo Silva... Or Lautaro Martinez. Why are you going to talk? Yeah, I, I don't. The Martinez particularly, I, I, I really don't understand that whatsoever. <laughs> I have to say, given the given the other interests that would presumably be in him. I mean, they, they're not even in the Europa League next season. It's, it is a strange one. Maybe they're doing the Rubinho and telling him it's just a club in London, and they're you know like, yeah fine. <laughs> Sounds probably Chelsea. Isn't it? I think Lukaku going to Chelsea is massive as well. In the, yeah. in the Chelsea having a good chance stakes. Um, you know, if you look at the the players born after the Premier League started in 1992 to have scored the most goals in the, the Premier League, it's Kane uh, top on 166, then Lukaku on 113, and then Sterling on 96. So, if, if you were buying one of them, Duncan Kane or Lukaku, which would you opt for? They're, they're quite close in age, so it's a it's a pretty good comparison. I'd, I'd probably go Lukaku, which sounds mm. mad given that Kane mm. was the top scorer and a top assister in the Premier League, but. It, I, you know, how many more seasons are we going to get out of Harry Kane? Um, I don't know. 
but at the same time, Lukaku's spell at United wasn't good. I think Lukaku. I think Kane will always give you seven and eight out of ten performances, whoever his manager is, where you know, however he's playing, almost. Whereas Lukaku is more dependent on a system. But you look at the players that Chelsea have got. You know the likes of Havertz, Mount around Lukaku, and that that spells danger for the opposition. I would say there was there was a quote from from Tuchel talking about you know wanting a striker that could play with the back to goal, which slightly concerned me because mm. what what nobody wants to see is is the Lukaku of the final season at Manchester United where he was effectively having to play as a he was being sacrificed to hold the ball up and try and play as a target man and it absolutely isn't his game and you would think that Tuchel has, has seen what Antonio Conte has done with him at Inter and realised that he, it probably is possible to replicate that at Chelsea if you get Timo Werner running the channels off him um, but yeah I just I, I hope they're going to use him in the right way because it, it Lukaku in, in Italy worked out, I think, because there wasn't huge pressure as soon as he went there. That pressure has been ramped up, not only because he's back in England, but because he's back at Chelsea and they're paying £70 million more for him than they sold him for. Interesting business. We'll have, we'll have much more on the league in Thursday's show with a big preview. Uh, let's just round off this bit of this one, though, with a couple of questions sent in. Chan says, on paper, are Villa now a better or worse team than at the start of last season? A lot of people are very excited by Villa's transfer business after cashing in on uh, Jack Grealish and bringing in the likes of Ings and Buendia and Leon Bailey from Bayer Leverkusen. What, what do you think? Well, on my since March uh, science uh, dump, they're actually one of the worst teams of the of the non-relegated teams. It's only uh, it's only Palace and Wolves that finished worse than, than Villa, and actually they did sort of you know struggle towards the end of the season. So you know if you think they have signed some good players, but integrating all those and kind of getting over um, the loss of Grealish, uh, I think I think Villa really need a good start. I think they're the sort of team that if they you know if they struggle in the first sort of four or five weeks, then it could it could all go a little bit a bit wrong. Mm. Darren Lithley says, as a not panicking really Leeds fan, will they be all right this season? Not many incoming players, but given how much of the season was missed by most of last summer's buys, is there less need to be worried? And we can't replicate Sheffield United, can we? Well, Darren, the interesting thing is that you already have because Sheffield United in the first season back up finished ninth and then the second season. And where did Leeds finish last campaign? Ninth. Well, yeah. Oops. Uh, um, I th- I think they will be okay. Um, I'm going here now off um, off Duncan's uh, workings of how teams ended last season. They ended last season absolutely brilliantly, almost to the extent that if it lasted a couple more weeks, they'd have got into Europe. Um, so I, I don't see any real cause for concern with Leeds at all, apart from just that is that question that Leeds fans hate. That is, you know, will the players get? a bit tired of working with Bielsa because it's so demanding and it's now several years they've been together but there isn't that that impression really around mm. the club I think you know Bielsa knew at the start of the summer that the budget was going to be between 20 and 30 million pound this summer so they've done one they've done the deal for the left back junior Furpo they want to get a central midfielder in I don't, I don't think they'll do much more than that and a lot of the deals that they did last summer for players like Rodrigo and Diego Llorente Robin Koch the way the payments are spread out, they, they knew that that was taking out from this year's budget and they took a bit of a risk um, with that. So I think their aim is still, again, to stay up. That That is their predominant aim. And I think Leeds fans are going to have to be a little bit cautious in not, not expecting ninth to become seventh this season and just accepting, you know, if we can do what we did last season again, then that's a massive success. Brilliant. Excellent stuff, Adam. Let's take a quick break and then... Hit Wickham and hit it hard. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash totally. That's indeed.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at indeed.com. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Totally Football Yearbook for 2021. The inaugural Totally Football Yearbook is out now, listener. Yep. Uh, Analysis, insight, authority, and irreverence from the likes of Duncan Alexander and Daniel Storey, all put together by Nick Miller. Well done, Nick. This is a terrific-looking book. And I've actually, you know, I've been through some of the pages inside and they're pretty special as well. Kaz B, making a bold bid to have his tweet included, asks, what are the panel's favourite bits of the Totally Football Show yearbook? (laughs) It's hard to pick one. I really enjoyed the forward by Jamie Carragher, in which Jamie Carragher basically, I mean, he he says he he borrows all our best bits for that show he does. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we knew that anyway, didn't we? Right. Duncan? I think well, I haven't actually seen it in in IRL, so uh, yeah, I don't know. Have you not? But I no. So oh right, I'd it's like, very I nice. See it. yeah, yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah. a picture. It looks quite um, quite austere, like it could slide into the British Library in a you know Dewey Decimal Index sort of way. I'm sure it's already there, uh, mm. but you, you want to get your hands on one because it's got a lovely texture. That cover, Adam. Mm. Um, I've, I've also not seen it. Is it nice for? It feels like a good coffee table book. Is that, yeah. is that uh, where we're it at? It's very authoritative, yeah. yeah. Also, big font. Mm. <laughs> um, so it, it's not in the Manchester City font, is it? That would make <laughs> quite a hard read. That would be quite... <laughs> just just <laughs> lots of spellings of uh, boobies across the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, magnificent. And now, the Football League returned this weekend. Uh, there's a Totally Football League show uh, a bit later on, on Monday, with Matt Davis-Adams, but just, you know, because I can't... I can't wait to find out. Uh, how did Wickham get on, Duncan, on their return to League One? They started with a win against um, sort of bogey team, Accrington Stanley. Now, you could argue mm. that if your bogey team is Accrington Stanley, you, you've got work <laughs> to do. But obviously, this is the first time Wickham have ever gone into League One from above, as opposed to from League Two. So there's a bit of, you know, quiet confidence that, that we can bounce back. We've kept most of our good players, added some Sam Vokes, which might not be up there with Messi as a big transfer of the summer but I think he, he had a good debut and he's someone that, you know has had a couple of tough seasons and you know if he gets hits the ground running in League One could be pretty effective how, how does his how does his record compare for goals scored outside the box I think Messi is, is just slightly ahead um, as with a few other metrics but you know um, has Messi won as many aerials as Sam Vokes no he has not so you know <laughs> Uh, meantime, how did Nottingham Forest get on against Coventry on Sunday, Daniel? We heard earlier. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like I feel like you're really <laughs> hammering this one home. Well, no, let's speak about the positive side of this, and that was the fact of where it was played. Yes, that is true. Uh, hard to be too churlish and um, deny Coventry fans their happiness because, yeah, they they were you know we have all missed going to home games over the last year and. 
Coventry fans have, can add another year onto that because April 2019 was their last home game at the Rico uh, or what is now the Coventry Building Society Arena, uh, catchy. And yeah, they they their attendances halved when they, they were forced to play at St Andrews. You know, very quickly there was a, a legal argument between the club and Coventry City Council. They They were... They were protesting the, the the sale of half of the stadium to to Wasps Rugby Club, and finally now have have, have agreed to do a deal so they they can they can go back to the Rico, which is great because yeah they they are having attendances of six thousand at St Andrews and it was sixteen thousand for the game against Forest today, which is is pretty brilliant. Mm. Uh, also quite positive, at least from a Nottingham Forest point of view, is is the situation at Wayne Rooney's Derby. What's <laughs> What's the latest there? Wayne sleeping at the stadium, is that right? Yeah, I mean, the, their fans will point out that they're ahead of, of Forest in the table because they got a draw at home to Huddersfield on the opening day. And actually, their first team is is OK. It's it's not miles off in terms of quality of last season, I don't think. It's just when they get a few injuries, the squad is, is painfully thin. They announced the signing of, of Ravel Morrison before mm. the game. And I hope he can, he can show even 20% of his previous potential because there's a there's a gem of a player in there but this is probably the fifth club that it's not quite happened or this is his fifth chance to make it happen shall we say so maybe being with Rooney and you know Rooney can kind of you know, he has certainly got a career that has enough anecdotal evidence that he can help Ravel Morrison I'm sure in terms of dealing with pressure and uh, dealing with the trappings of fame so maybe that'll work out for him and I hope it does because there's as I say there's a heck of a footballer in there somewhere well much more of that and other football league stories in the Totally Football League show, which is out a little bit later on, on Monday, with Matt Davis-Adams. Excellent. Very shortly, we'll be talking Tokyo. At first, though, let's get some odds from Paddy Power with producer Charlie. Hello, listeners. Producer Charlie here, like producer Ben, but a bit tinnier, a bit more nasal. Joining me is someone who's always easy on the ear. It's Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power. Carl, who are the favourites for the Premier League title and why are they Man City? Well, Charlie, in one word, I think the answer that covers all bases is quality. Man City are the odds-on favourites at 4-6 to six because they have so much quality at their disposal. Foden, Greenish, De Bruyne, Maris, Sterling, Godonga, the list goes on, are all potential match winners. And just think of what the addition of Harry Kane could mean for the rest of the contenders if City can wrestle him away from Daniel Levy's vice-like grip. In terms of the contenders, Chelsea are 9-2. to two. The Blues don't seem to suffer nerves when they play City, as we saw time and time again last season. And a serious title challenge will be expected from Roman. Tuchel's well-oiled machine ended up conquering Europe and lifting old biggers. So with an incoming Romelu Lukaku with a score to settle, Chelsea could turn into a bit of a juggernaut. Liverpool are 5-1 to one and show glimpses of their former selves towards the end of what was, for the most part, a painful season for them last year. One thing they do have going for them, though, is the return of one Virgil van Dijk. I think it's fair to say they missed him. The Dutchman, who is a Rolls-Royce of a defender, should make Liverpool exceptionally difficult to beat again. Manchester United's summer window has been impressive so far. They have certainly strengthened with Sancho and Varane on board. Will they be able to get closer to land a glove on their city rivals? They finished 12 points behind them last season and are a 17-2 shot to lift the Premier League title. Grealish out at Villa, Ings in. Uh, what does the departure of Danny do to the pre-season relegation odds? Do the punters smell trouble at St Mary's? Well, Charlie, it's a good question. The Saints have gone from 5-1 to one to 4-1 to one to be relegated after the news that their top goal scorer Ings has left for Villa. Now, Ward-Prowse has also been linked with the move there. And if that happens, I think the Saints could become a real contender for the dreaded drop. It's a dangerous game, folks, for the Saints to let their goals and assists from last season leave right through the front door. Crikey. So that's what he sounds like. Wow, listener, you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, ooh, who enjoyed the Olympics? Daniel, you had a massive kind of wall chart program watching plan thing. What was your highlight? The horse that wouldn't move? Was it that one? No, that wasn't my highlight. Uh, I think my highlight was... I like the shared high jump goal because right, yeah. initially I didn't like it. I felt like, come on, this, is, this isn't this is a school sports day. You shouldn't be sharing anything. But actually, it was just an outpouring of joy. And I realised that 
modern life and social media is maybe incredibly cynical and that it's probably okay for two people to be happy for each other and themselves. Mm, not having that, Duncan, are you? What was your most special bit of the... Well, you know my opinion on the Olympics. I've, I've said it before, I think. Um, if I'm not the sure pinnacle if I can of, remember. Well, if the pinnacle of your sport is the Olympics, fine. It should be the Olympics. But if it's right. not, then it shouldn't be in the Olympics. So football, golf, things like that shouldn't... shouldn't basketball shouldn't be in the Olympics. So um, obviously I watched the, the cycling event, so I enjoyed Tom Pidcock winning the, winning the mm. mountain bike. Um, but yeah, I kind of limited it, my watching to that, really. The whole point of the Olympics surely is to branch out and sample other delights that you wouldn't ordinarily. That's well, see, I don't like people that once every four years suddenly become experts in diving or modern pentathlon. It's like, if you like it, watch yeah. watch the World Championships in February or whatever, whenever it's held. It's, you can't just dip in and out. It's wrong. It's wrong. Show commitment or go home. I, I mean, you're probably at home, but you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I actually like to become an expert in swimming every four years. And um, this year it was also glory hunting because they, they won all the goals. But I actually, I didn't find myself watching that much of the action. I just keep watching these videos of families watching their children mm. um, compete and sort of crying with them, um, despite not knowing who most of these people are. Um, so I've enjoyed that quite a lot. Um, also enjoyed Michael Johnson's punditry quite a lot um, as well on the BBC. Um, but yeah, swimming was good. Um, on that on that topic of that sport should be the pinnacle in order to be in the Olympics, would you say that for women's football, the Olympics counts as the pinnacle beyond the World Cup? I think I think the World Cup is still seen as the major, yeah. but it, but yeah, I mean they're a lot closer, yeah. It's, and it's a, it, yeah the fact that there's no age restrictions, which you know I would I would have women's football in the Olympics and not men's football in the Olympics. Put it that way. I, w I, w I would not have I wouldn't not have football in the Olympics because I think I agree with you. I think that the the women's tournament is brilliant. Um, but yeah, men's football I I can't really get on board with to be honest. It's um, well, it seems um, very strange because we you know I was going to finish off with a little chat about the men's football. Yeah, final, brilliant game. Which, which Danny Alves certainly seemed to care about. Did you see him running around at 38, busting a gut and ending up with the Olympic gold? He is now the most decorated player of all time. Of course, off-field has already been that for some time. Have you ever seen him uh, striding along a, a catwalk? Nice. Um, but he's now got 42 trophies in his career. He set up Cunha for the opener as uh, Brazil off Spain. He said, segueing neatly into a little match report. Then there was that outstanding Oyazabel equaliser. Uh, from mm -hmm. Spain, and then uh, former Barcelona winger Malcolm, who's now with Zenit St. Petersburg, came up with a winner in uh, the second half of extra time after Richarlison, of course, had spurned the chance to put uh, Brazil in the lead early doors, blazing a penalty over the, the bar. But he must be a bit tuckered out, poor chap, Richarlison. Yeah, him no. and half Pedro. the Spain squad, I think, yeah. Yeah, Pedri, Isabel. Yeah, they, they were the two countries that, that from their squads alone indicated that they were taking it very seriously. Um, countries like France and, and Argentina pretty evidently didn't do that and um, were humbled along the way. Uh, so, yeah, they, they were the two best squads in the tournament. And, I mean, Pedri is ridiculous, 73 games and, you know, season starts pretty soon. Richarlison now back and they play Southampton on Saturday. It's... It's really not a good situation. I can see where they want to play and there's pressure on them to go, but it's pretty farcical. Mm. I do take your point, uh, Duncan, about sports that have bigger occasions elsewhere. It's kind of strange to... to it's, it's difficult to draw the same emotion mm. from, from seeing them at the Olympics when there's, you know, the options of teens doing skateboarding or horse fisting, which is very much my, <laughs> yeah. my standout moment. But, um, but there you go, you know, Spain, Brazil... And uh, and yeah, I, producer Charlie actually was asking before if there's ever been an Olympic gold medal match that 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 did kind of feel like a proper occasion. And the yeah, go-to answer, yeah, yeah, is '96, isn't it? It's Nigeria beating Argentina. Va a quedar libre en el segundo palo. Va Banguida viene el centro, habilitado, gol. Gol de Nigeria. Again, they picked a strong squad. It was a, a squad that we would. It was just in the age when we were starting to hear of these players um you know we we did have some access to 
foreign leagues and they were a joyous, joyous only very team. rudimentary though in those days <laughs> yeah um, that's probably true yeah um, but those i mean the squad i have them here well at least the uh one or two of the highlights so argentina had zanetti crespo ortega ajala sensini almeida and claudio lopez nigeria uh, with kanu uh okocha amakachi Ikpiba, olise and Taribo west mm. fantastic yeah, yeah. Everton have got a good record of strikers with gold medals. Amakachi as well, Richarlison. Mm. Perhaps that should be their new new badge, just a gold medal gift spinning around. Mm. <laughs> Splendid. Listener, you've probably got loads of things happening because it's Monday and, you know, business. So uh, do enjoy yourself. We'll wrap this Totally Football Show up there. Uh, we will be back, as I mentioned before, on Thursday. We'll be joining us then Tom Williams, uh, Dom Fifield. And Natalie Jedra. So, listener who sent in a Crystal Palace question, Dom will be all over that for us. And, and Natalie, I, I bet, will be bringing plenty of enthusiasm about Brazil's gold medal. Anyway, that'll be with you at some point on Thursday. For now, it's many, many thanks to Adam, uh, Daniel, and Duncan, and you, listener, and producer Charlie, and everyone else who made this possible. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.